What is up, y'all? Welcome back to episode 1073 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It is Tuesday, July 5th. I'm your host, Paul Spore. Got another solo episode coming for you, so if you like me, it's great for you. If I'm not your favorite part of the show, <laughs> it's going to be another tough one. <laughs> Justin's uh, a little bit under the weather. Everything is getting better with uh, the situation they were dealing with with his baby getting COVID. She's been better. He says he's tested negative, but just wasn't feeling great. I say, hey, man, I got some content that I can do solo. I got you covered. Get right. All good. So what are we going to talk about today? Uh, basically, we got today and Friday set up a hitter pitcher sort of thing. What we're going to discuss are the basically uh, the high impact waiver moves and how they've gone or, or the perceived high impact, the, the, the waiver, uh, you know, the high end waiver pickups this year and, and basically a review of that, the high volume uh, in particular. So I am using the main event as a frame of reference, a 15-team league. So that does cut it to a certain um, depth, a particular depth, obviously. But it does include most of the premier prospects because unless they were drafted, they are not available until they're called up. So you get those frenzies for all of them. So that kind of helps lengthen the pool a bit. So, you know, what we're looking at then is I, I kind of just went through and picked, and I only picked up through the June 5th period because that gives just about a month. Obviously, today is a month, but it would take through tomorrow to be a month because it's always the day after that you start with that player. But most of those, so those have had close to a month. All the others have had at least a month of time to see how they've been since they were picked up and kind of assess them. Now, some rough and dirty calculations here I want to be clear of. For example... I'm going to give their numbers since they were picked up and then a full season pace of what that period is like. Obviously, that is not the most statistically sound way to just give the pace of it. I, I understand that. I understand it. It's, it's just to illustrate, you know, uh, kind of put it into context instead of just hearing a bunch of numbers. Hearing that someone would, was pacing to like eight homers, 15 steals, 84 runs batted in, and 72 runs, you're like, Okay, cool. Like, you can comprehend what those numbers mean. I'm not saying, you know, people are, are dumb and don't understand that, obviously. But I know for me personally, I hear a player type, you know, I hear a player comp uh, statistically, and I'm like, oh, okay, that puts it into a frame of reference. So I got that for you as well. I got like a loose player comp from last year to help crystallize the picture even a bit more. Some of the comps are stretched. I will acknowledge when those are particularly stretched. Some, the best comp was a catcher. So then I, I went ahead and, and did the positional calculation there to bring that comp either back down or if the player in question is a catcher, I gave him the, the dollar comp on the auction calculator to kind of boost that number because he gets such a position change. So for example, Christian Bethencourt is on this list. Well, if I just compared his numbers to you know so an outfielder who did what he's doing that wouldn't really highlight the impact or the potential impact that he's had he's actually a really interesting case where the period i'm going to cover is the uh may 15th period where bethencourt was picked up 22 times interestingly enough he was cut quite a bit over the subsequent month and then was a 36 pickup uh, 36 league pickup on June 12th. So I could kind of do two different versions of him, although we will wait 
uh, and, and I'll probably do another one of these, say, like in August, starting with the June 12th period. So we'll see, you know, Bethancourt will have a second run here to kind of see what's up. So let's just get into it. Let's start. And uh, I think as long as you have an NFBC league, you can you can get this data, whether you're in the main event or not, just if you are in the NFBC it's nfc.shgn.com so like the the website that is is for nfbc slash player movements with an s slash baseball and then you can select from the drop down what you want here so first week who was who was the go-to and this was um this was actually before the season started but who was who was the hot who was the hotness at the very beginning. Say it with me now. Three, two, one. Yes, yeah, Stephen Kwan, obviously. Now, he was drafted in leagues as well, so he was only picked up in 13, but that was the third most of the April 3rd period. Dylan Tate, Greg Holland, uh, you know, save speculations were the only two that were that were higher at 15 and 14, respectively. Stephen Kwan was picked up in 13 leagues, and since then, he's hit 274 with a homer and two steals. 20 ribbies, 32 runs. That, I mean, that doesn't pace out to a great season. It's two homers, 12 steals, 56 ribbies, 79 runs. And the comp that I found there was basically last year's Elvis Andrus, who was the 211th hitter. Now, what I will say is that the Quan bids were, were pretty reasonable, all things considered. There were only three leagues that topped $40, of those 13 and they were at 55 65 and 77 and you know two of them had decent backup bids 27 and 47 the 77 one had a three dollar backup so that one doesn't feel as good but even though he hasn't been great you can recover from where Stephen kwan's been and if you're not even using using him and he's you know a bench guy that you're kind of slotting in here and there i, I don't think that's a huge problem i think you're certainly uh dealing with that okay because you didn't break the bank form in a lot of cases i'm sure there's some leagues out there where people absolutely did and i understand that in which case i'm sorry that's that's gone that hasn't gone well for you but maybe maybe he spikes back up again here uh over the summer and you know goes goes all Luis rise on him you know because he and Luis rise are after all the same player and arises just what happens when that profile gets particularly hot. And Quan is, you know, what it looks like, uh, almost at like more of a resting state. This isn't even what it looks like when it goes wrong. Like th this is, this is kind of the, uh, the idling era. You know, he's, he's been fine. He's a 108 WRC plus for the season. Stephen Quan is. So next up from the April 10th waiver period was Jerickson Profar. He was picked up in 37 leagues. He was very popular. And he's been pretty interesting since then. Since the pickup, he's hit 238 with six homers, four steals, 32 runs batted in, 48 runs scored. That's a 12, 8, 66, and 100 pace. So that's pretty interesting. It's difficult to find a 66 RBI 100 pace season. Um, closest I could find. And by the way, that there are, uh, uh, when I give these comps, these are for like a little sprinkle of contextualization of, of context. I don't know if I need 
the whole big contextualization word there. But there's a little bit of sprinkle of context, a little background color there. They're not meant to be like, you know, perfect dollar to dollar comps. First off, I'm using a pace of a small sample, but also, so for example, this one was uh, Joey Wendell. These are 162 game comps. In the case of, of this one, Joey Wendell didn't play 162 games. So the batting average in such a volume uh, of, of 162 games for Profar would be weighted differently than what it was in the 501 plate appearances for Joey Wendell. So that's why, like, I'm going to say, okay, Joey Wendell, he was the 125th hitter uh, on the auction calculator last year. So it gives you a general idea, but it is not perfectly where Profar's pacing for any number of reasons, but also because of the volume discrepancies. I want to be clear that those 2021 comps are just for a little extra coloring on understanding what the person has done. Now, Profar originally, uh, at the you know when the season was going, he couldn't get the singles to fall. He he had he had some Christian Walkeritis, where uh, the the Diamondbacks first baseman is having this brilliant season, and he's hitting the cover off the ball. Like his power has been I mean, exquisite. It's been awesome, but his singles won't fall. So his batting average is still horrendous. And Profart was dealing with this too, up until literally he took into May 10th. He had a 163 average, despite the rest of the season. Like it, it, things were going pretty well. He had a 297 OBP and a 367 slug. And I'm like, I know that neither of those on their face sound all that great, but when you have a 169 average or 163 average, they're not bad, relatively speaking, especially a an OBP 134 points higher. And then even the slug, 205, four points higher. That, that would be his ISO. So that's telling you that, like, the other skills for Profar were in place. He had a 153 Babbitt. He needed some base hits to fall. Ten of his, uh, uh, five, ten, ten of his 16 hits were extra bases, five doubles, five homers for Profar. So he had five doubles, five homers, six singles. He needed a few more singles since then. Since not not since he was picked up, but since the May 9th date, where it hit a 163 for Profar's batting average, he's hit 282 uh, with a 316 BABIP. He didn't even need the BABIP to go crazy just to get back to something normal, and now his season-long average is up to 243. So it looks like I said a bit a bit like last year's Joey Wendell, which hey you know the 125th hitter, if you're getting a top 125 hitter off the waiver wire in week two, or really after week one, because the April 3rd pickup is, is preseason. So really week one, that's pretty good. That's pretty darn good. You really didn't miss too much on a pro far either because, he, and you know, this obviously means you, you had to have kept him that long too, but he had a homer on that Sunday and had four ribbies. I don't know if it was a grand slam or not. Let me actually look. Can click on it very quickly and see yes it was a grand slam so he hit a grand slam on that sunday that was two homers in the first three games of the season for profar some, some people a lot of people were like hey let's take a shot you know multi-positional playing on san diego and he's been good he's been good especially with getting the batting average back in check here's one of the best in fact based on the player comps this has been the very best pickup also the fact that there are some other comps or there are some other pickups that are coming that um, are close, but they were picked up later. There is one who has literally no comp because he has such a hilariously stupid pace since he was mass picked up. 
that I guess he would be the absolute best. But in terms of guys that you can make a reasonable full season comp for and picked up early uh, April 17th, Taylor Ward is the best thing going now. He was picked up in all 47 main events on that 17th. People jumped quickly. I think he had played two or three games to that point. People jumped quickly, and it was it was the right call. Now, some of the leagues went went big. Unfortunately, I was in one of them. Three of the top four bids were from Dalton Del Don, and I happened to be in one of Dalton Del Don's leagues. So 219 was the top, then 215, 180, 175 were the three from Dalton. Then there were one, two, three, four, five, six others over $100. So that's those, uh, those six, that's 10. So that means the other 37 were between 91 and $23. Oh, what I wouldn't have given to be in one of one of those leagues. So let me actually keep myself in check here and give you guys my exact bid because I think I was second or third based on talking to people in the league. All right, so second in our league for uh, for Taylor Award was 92. I was 68. So I, I might not have even been third. Should have gone higher. But I didn't have the biggest need. It wouldn't really matter, obviously, too, because I was never, no matter how excited I was, and I got him in some other leagues, um, but no matter how excited I was, I was never getting to 181, which was what it would have taken to get Taylor Ward in my league. But he's been obviously amazing. 302, 11 homers, one steal, 31 runs batted in, and 40 runs scored in that time. The best comp is Nick Castellanos. Uh, which is you know interesting because Nick Castellanos has not been himself this year, and Taylor Ward has been last year's Nick Castellanos. But pretty, you know, the the pace that that Taylor Ward is on: thirty two homers, three steals, ninety one ribbies, and one hundred eighteen uh, runs. It, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Now the runs and ribbies are a little bit reversed for Casty, but it's not a bad it's not a bad comp, comp there. And Castellanos was the fifteenth player. Uh, the 15th hitter ranked last year. Taylor Ward obviously tracking to be something great like that too. He hit a little low, Taylor Ward did, but has since come out of it. So if you were worried by that by that downshift there, I mean, sh- surely if you're paying you know full attention here, you know he's already come out of it. But I did see a little floating around. Like, I think there has been a little bit of a lasting effect from those two weeks from May 26th to June 18th. At least anecdotally, because I had a few people um, kind of combating Taylor Ward in my Twitch chat the other day, saying like, oh, you know, but he's falling off. And I was like, well, no. Uh, he had for a couple weeks. That's fair. But I think you need to check back in again and see that like, oh, he's actually gotten back out of it. Because in the subsequent two weeks, he's hitting 344, 11, 520. However, there is one a uh, bit of alarming news in that time period. He has a 30% strikeout rate, Taylor Ward does. That's a bit much. Don't think we want to be up there. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. But he looks like a bankable, strong hitter, Taylor Ward. He's been in all formats, all the time type of play right now. The only thing that's really derailed him has been health. Owen Miller was another April 17th pickup. He went in 46 of the 47 leagues. I don't know if he was in, you know, he was drafted in the other or... What I would imagine that was it, because I don't know why only one league would not pick him up. That seems that seems weird, 
where there was like one league that said, nah, we don't want this guy. <laughs> and on April 17th, yeah, he was hitting 500 through the first nine games, which obviously is a nothing sample. However, at the beginning of the year, even when there are nothing samples, as a fantasy community, we're out here losing our minds over everything. So you know people are still getting in. So he had to have been drafted in that other league Owen Miller was. I will say this, though. I thought, obviously, nobody was saying he'd hit 400 or 500 or anything like that. I thought he'd be better, though. And it has gone pretty poorly. He's hitting 206, two homers, a steal, 27 runs batted in, 24 runs scored since that pickup. And the tough part was he missed five days immediately after getting picked up. I don't know if he was on COVID or had like a, a lingering injury that didn't require an IL stint, but he missed five straight games. And you're like, oh boy, here we go. And turned out that was a harbinger, unfortunately. Like I said, 206, 259, 290 is the slash line from Owen Miller since then. I mean, you know, I did the full sample, but obviously you should have cut him a long time ago. He's Kevin Newman, Nick Ahmed type from last year. And so... It looked like he could be a line drive guy. I really thought batting average would be where he could hang. Let me see if I can find when I wrote him up. And I was like, you know, there might be some juice uh, batting average-wise there. That was kind of my number one thing with um, with Owen Miller, is that I thought you could see the batting average give some value, but no, it's it's been rough. Let me get here. Yeah, so he came in in Tuesday's game. Let's see. Yeah. So he had like, okay, 9% strikeout rate, 4% swinging strike rate. And I suggested, you know, he had a 40 hit tool with a 55 upside. Maybe he was tapping into some of that upside early on. He still only has an 8% swinging strike rate and a 20% K rate. Those aren't bad. And maybe there is some upswing in, in a 283 Babbitt for Owen Miller. But he's hitting 240 on the year, even with that uh, that fast start. He's not on the ground too much. He's not in the air too much. It's got kind of even distribution. I don't know. Maybe he's just, simply put, maybe he's just not that good. Maybe he just doesn't strike the ball hard enough. And that hot streak was, was all it was, was a hot streak. Santiago Espinal was a big pickup in 37 leagues on April 17th. And since then, he's hit 274 with six homers of steel, 33 runs batted in, and 28 scored. That's a full season pace of a 14-2. 76 driven in, 65 scored. By the way, Owen Miller's full season pace was 5-3 and three, homers and steals with 71 runs driven in, 63 scored. Like I said, Kevin Newman, Nick Ahmed type stuff. Santiago Espinal for the Jays, his comp from last year is, this one actually kind of dead on, which is crazy because we, we associate these two players very differently in our minds, but Espinal's 2020, 2022 season pace looks a lot like what Yohan Moncada did last year. A lot. Uh, Moncada went 14 homers, 3 steals, 263 average, with uh, 61 runs scored, 74... Excuse me. 74 runs scored, 61 driven in. So, I mean, that's heavy Espinal vibes. And so that's kind of what he is, and that's all right. There's actually nothing wrong with that. You know, obviously, considering the draft capital that you paid for Yohan Moncada, if you got him off the waiver wire for free, you'd be fine with that. Moncada, even as he was last year as a disappointment, was the 142nd player off the board. So, you know, you're certainly 
happy with that as a pickup. What do we roster? Let's say there's it's 14 and nine, uh, 14 hitters in, in a lineup, and then there's seven reserves. Let's say every team has three. So let's just go 17 hitters, generally speaking, times 17. That's 255 hitters. So, you know, someone who's the 142nd best hitter, it's got plenty of value there, particularly off the waiver wire. So Espinal has been a win for sure. Going into the next week, April 24th, Daniel Vogelbach was picked up in 36 leagues. And since then, <laughs> it's been bad, y'all. 213 with seven homers, no steals, obviously. 21 runs batted in, 16 scored. That's a 23 homer pace with 68 ribbies, 52 runs scored. Now, this is where I had to do some, some changing because the only comp that comes close, especially with the batting average, which is 213 for Vogelbach, is last year's Gary Sanchez. But, of course, Gary Sanchez is the 112th-ranked hitter because of his catcher bonus, and, and only because of it. If you switch that out for a first-base positional adjustment on the auction calculator, which is a simple math equation there. And I could have done these even deeper if I really wanted to hone in perfectly on the comps, but I didn't have that much time. Like I said, they're, they're a sprinkle. They're coloring. They're adding on top. We're talking with the numbers, and then I give you that frame of reference there. But... Um, yeah, you take that and you do the first base difference, and it literally doubles it. It goes from 112 to 224 with the first base penalty, which I just got done saying. There's a, a, an approximately 255 hitters rostered in the uh, NFBC main event in any given league at any moment, and 224 is really on that cusp, especially at first base corner. You're not adding a ton of value there. Daniel Vogelbach has been a plus hitter for the season with a 116 OPS plus. But it seems if you missed some of that early work there before he was picked up, when he was hitting 311 with a 936 OPS and three homers, then you've really gotten virtually nothing from him. Here's another one of our big gems. In fact, we got two gems in a row, and they're very close to what they're pacing towards since they've been picked up. And they had the same comp, which was no real comp at all, but a guy who was kind of close. And that is Josh Naylor from the April 24th pickups and Juan Yepes from the May 8th pickups the week after. Start with Josh Naylor. 22 leagues picked him up. He was uh, you know, within the top 10 number uh, in terms of number of pickups that week. He's hitting 257 with 10 homers, a steal, 38 driven in, and 20 scored since then for Josh Naylor. That's a 34 homer, 3 steal. 131 RBI and 69 run pace. And that's why there's no real comp here because that that disparity in runs driven in versus runs scored. And that's the difficulty of small sample full season paces because you get wacky stuff like this and the wackiest one is coming up in, toward the end. And you'll know as soon as I say the name, like, oh yeah, his pace right now is has to be stupid. Some of y'all probably guessing it. It's the guy who's probably... In terms of impact and the scarcity of what he delivers, that, that should give it away. Um, he might be the fantasy MVP thus far, and he wasn't picked up until the end of May. Like I said, he's at the end of this list here. But anyway, Josh Naylor, the closest comp I could kind of give was Giancarlo Stanton, and he was 53rd last year. So he and Yepes get that comp. Stanton last year had 35 homers, 97 runs driven in, 64 runs scored, with a 273 average. So that's that's actually pretty close. But again, 
Nagler's on pace for 131 ribbies. That run batted in total will likely come down. Uh, or not likely. It will. I shouldn't say likely, as if, oh, you know, it might. No. It's definitely coming down that pace. Um, but the run's scored pace could actually go up a bit if they start driving him in more. So, yeah, Giancarlo Stanton, you know, 53rd hitter last year. So you're looking at, like, top 55, top 60 hitter with Josh Naylor and Juan Yepes. Um, I mentioned Naylor, 257, 10 homers. That's almost exactly what Yepes has done since being picked up in all 47 leagues on May 8th. He's hitting 258 with 10 homers, so one batting average point splits them. Now, 15 runs batted in split them as well to the favor of Naylor's 38 versus Yepes's 23, but then um, it's 20 runs Naylor, 19 for Yepes. So again, we're led with a similar comp here. Stanton still isn't that good of a comp because now he now Yepes doesn't have as big of a runs um, driven in slash scored split. However, the only other guy with 30-something homers with that low of a runs or ribbies output is like uh, Mike Zanino. And then the batting average, of course, completely ruins that. So I just stuck with the Stanton-ish comp for both of them. Let's just say this. Naylor Yepes, unless they completely fall off, I think they're both going to end up on on the right side of the top 80. Like, they're going to be top 80 hitters, um, like, from the point that you got them. And that's awesome. That that's that, that's huge. That's huge impact with the upside to be even more because of their power. Uh, Yepes was actually cut in my main event, and I was the beneficiary of that. I was actually a little surprised. I I, I did some digging, and I was like, I, I I wasn't sure why he was cut. I saw that he you know he'd missed the handful of games in a row, and there was some concern about that. I guess so it led to a cut, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna take the shot, and he's been. He's been hitting again, looking solid. Meanwhile, Naylor has just been high impact like crazy for Cleveland. And they've really started to put something together offensively to where they are seriously in this race. They're only two games over right now. Like They, they need things to go well for sure. They, they're not perfect. Their pitching isn't quite as good as it's been in recent years. But it's still pretty darn good. And if Savali gets going, I think he was, uh, was he good off of his IL return? Ah, he was okay. It was the Yankees, but it was six innings. Oh, wait, 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 wait. He's been back. He's been back for three starts now. I'm sorry. So his first one back, five innings, two runs, seven strikeouts. That's good at Minnesota. Then four innings, three against Boston, and then six innings, four against New York. So he hasn't been terrible since his return, 540 RA. But anyway, I didn't mean to get bogged down there. They are actually putting together a little bit of offense, not just Ramirez. Like I said, you got Naylor, Jimenez, Quan, Rosario, all above average hitters. Owen Miller for a little while there was trending all right. He still has a 90 OPS plus, so he's like within a stone's throw of average, but there's a bigger chance that Fran Mil Reyes or even Miles Straw get back on track to give them a little bit more depth. But last year it was like Ramirez Reyes and that was it. So to have, you know, four or five guys that they got on this team now that you can turn to is pretty nice. And Naylor's been a huge part of that. Jose Miranda was part of the May 8th pickups. 42 leagues went ahead and scooped up the Miami, or excuse me, the Minnesota prospect. He's hit 254 with four homers, 19 runs batted in, but only nine runs scored since pickup. Now, again, a, a run scored total like that also goes to the, your team, but not just the team, Jose Miranda. You have a 274 OBP. 
you are contributing to that. So the full season pace is 16 homers, no steals, 75 runs, uh, batted in, 36 scored. There was actually a decent comp for that, and it's a really interesting name. It's Miguel Cabrera from last year. Kind of, kind of did that, and he hit 15 homers, 75 runs driven in, 48 scored with a 256 average. So that one's very close, and it's the 175th player last year for Miggy. So that's about where you're at with Miranda, kind of a top 200 player. Not quite what was hoped for with him, but you know, it's okay. And of course, that's just what they're pacing toward right now. There's a half season left. A lot of things are going to change. I'm just giving you the general notion of them right now. Um, just for you know, uh, some a reference point here. It'll be eager to, I'll be eager to see how these guys develop over the course of the rest of the season. You know, Miranda also has a 271 Babbitt that could stand to go up. He makes pretty good contact, although not quite the strikeout rates uh, of the mid-teens that we saw in the minors. He's up to 20% here in the majors, and Miranda doesn't walk all that much. There's no real steals. There's no major power. So batting average was supposed to be a key driver. So the fact that he's hitting 237 has really hampered the fantasy output for um, Jose Miranda. Also on that May 8th, another one of the big dogs here, Brandon Drury. He would probably be second to Taylor Ward, just ahead of Josh Naylor and Juan Yepes for the best of this of this bunch right now. Those four. And, and throw in um, Nolan Gorman. I'll just bring him in right now, May 22nd. He was picked up in, all, in 46 leagues. I guess he was drafted in one then. He also gets the Giancarlo Stanton comp because of his 30-something home run pace with low runs and ribbies just due to the fact that you know, you're taking a small sample and pacing it out like that. And Stanton hit way better than the 231 that Gorman has. So I went with that kind of tough cop. Actually, you know what? I didn't quite internalize that uh, Gorman was hitting that low. Maybe he is a little bit of a better comparison for the Zanino comp. Not perfectly. Zanino hit 216 last year. And I'll tell you, it may not feel that different, but 231 versus 216 is a pretty big difference so we'll, we'll say it's you know it's more of like a Zunino plus but you've hit you've gotten a 231 average with seven homers no steals 17 runs batted in 18 scored from Gorman since he came up so we're throwing him in there with with Drury um just because it, to kind of clear out our group at the at the very top and I got one other guy who's another special case but I'll, I'll get to him in a moment back to Drury May 8th 28 leagues picked him up since then he's hitting 268 with 12 homers, a steal, 30 runs driven in, and 36 runs scored. He's batting second in a great park to hit in. The full season pace for that is 42 homers, 4 steals, 106 driven in, 127 scored. Obviously a colossal player. The best comp I found was Matt Olson last year, the 20th hitter. So that would obviously be amazing. I have started to grow fearful. I think it was Justin who first planted this in my head, but it's it's got a good shot of happening, and that's the scary part. I've become fearful that Drury's going to get traded and wind up on a team where his playing time is going to be sapped up quite a bit, where he's more of like a fill-in or you know middle-bottom-of-the-order type of guy, say like a fifth through eighth lineup spot, depending on where he goes, might not even play every day, and that sucks. I love having the number two hitter in Cincinnati. First off, their lineup hasn't been as bad since that three and nineteen start. They've been they've been run of the mill bad teams since then. 
nothing, you know, outlierly awful. But that's the 319 is going to keep them as an outlier for most of the year in terms of the low end teams because you can't really work work that off. And they don't have that good of a team to make it up, especially once they start trading pieces. But Drury's been great. He is going to be 30 next year, though. So it's like, you know, what what are they building for with him? There's a lot of legitimacy to what he's doing. The dude can can mash the ball, and he is tattooing the ball big time this year. But there is some some major concerns about what might happen if he's traded. I talked about this on the Rotowire uh, XM show today, though, with uh, Jeff Erickson and Nick Whalen. I don't think you plan for it, though. Or, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I don't think you plan for it by trading Drury. Let me say that. You do plan for it. You should plan for it by solidifying whatever position he's been most important for you in. Drury plays second, third, and outfield, so you could have him at corner, middle, uh, or any of those three positions. So you got five positions to choose from, uh, and, and utility, of course, but everyone has that. So... If you're bouncing him around, that's, you know, maybe look for a utility guy. But if you've been putting him in a particular spot, if, you're, if you've been putting him in that middle or the corner, and that, that's been your major focus or outfield, you start planning by shoring up that position. But I don't think you start planning by, like, trading him. No one's going to pay a grip for Drury. So ride it out till he's gone in case, you know, if he's even gone. We don't know for sure. It makes sense that they would trade him, but it's the Reds. They don't do shit that makes sense. So there's no guarantees here. So just keep your jury, enjoy it, plan around it with regards to the position that he's covering. Don't try to get rid of him, though, because you probably, if you get a fair deal, more power to you. I'm just saying most people probably won't get a great return, so I, I'm just going to ride it out. I have him in the NFBC. I don't have a, a trade choice. I'm just riding this out to see what happens, you know? And there is obviously the upside of, yes, he gets traded, but he gets traded to a team that needs him to fill in a key role. I'm not rooting for anybody's injury, but I'm saying like that oftentimes facilitates trades like this. Somebody needs, you know, something of any number of things for jury that he could fill in. They trade for jury. They put him right in the lineup. Yeah, maybe he goes down from second to sixth, but if he goes from the Reds lineup to the Dodgers lineup, do I really give a shit? No. So there, I'm planning for the downside, though. There is still upside with regards to Drury's potential trade. Not, not many stadiums are going to be an upside, but only a lineup would be an upside. Alec Thomas was in the May 15th pickup. 43 leagues scooped him. And since then, he's only hit 237, but... Six homers, four steals, 16 runs driven in, 22 scored. The full season pace for that is 23 homers, 15 steals, 60 driven in, and 83 scored. That gives you kind of a rough Francisco Lindor from last year. And obviously he disappointed against expectations. But if you had picked up Francisco Lindor off the waiver wire, you certainly wouldn't have minded what he did when he went 20 and 10 with 63 driven in, 73 scored, and a 230 average. So think about that with Alec Thomas. If you get the 114th player or something close to that um, off the waiver wire, you're going to feel great. By the way, I think he can be quite a bit more than this. I, I would take this. I would take this pace. This is totally fine. But I don't think Alec Thomas is a 237 hit or not, like on a permanent basis. I understand that it might be this year. You know, listen, it is his rookie year. There's going to be trials and tribulations. But I like a lot of what Alec Thomas is doing. And I certainly believe that he can be more than that. And let me be clear. I'm giving numbers 
since uh, the, the pickup period, he's hitting 251 on the year. So he's already shown that he's better than a 237 hitter. But I mean, even from the pickup point, like, so from this point forward, he can hit well over 237 to pull up that bottom line number. And you're getting the power, you're getting the speed. I mean, he's panning out, right? Like, what, what isn't Alec Thomas doing that was hoped for? He's giving you speed, he's got some punch playing i think playing literally every single day so i love what alec thomas is doing very excited about him cardinals devil magic has kicked in may 15th brendan donovan started getting picked up 35 of the 47 main events picked him up since then he's hit 293 which is the main reason you got him with one homer two steals and 21 runs and ribbies giving him a four seven and 76 pace obviously that would be 76 for the runs and the ribbies that's basically a lurry garcia Larry garcia light and garcia was about the 190th player so donovan's you know put him in that 190 to 210 type of range for what he's been it's just because he doesn't add any category juice and this is what empty batting average can look like however i'm not here to poo poo him and say that there has been no value if you've needed the batting average like i have a batting average starved team if, for those of you that don't know, I'm built like the uh, the wavy inflatable dude out in front of a used car lot or a stop sign or Tristan McKenzie or Taylor Swift. You get it. Like that's kind of the group that, that I have my body modeled after. And as such, a cold wind could, could blow me away. No, uh, the point I brought up of that was my batting average every night is my freaking body weight, which is sub 200. And that's so annoying. And I finally started making some headway and we're back on the 170s train. It's like, I, I, I don't want to see my weight in batting average form every damn night. So if I'd picked up Brendan Donovan, he would have fit my needs perfectly. So if you picked him up for batting average and he's filling in what you need, that's great. You should be always looking to kind of improve him, though, and improve the spot that he's filling, and then you move him on to your next problem spot, and then you try to improve that spot, and then you move him out. You know, because Brendan Donovan can kind of play a bunch of spots, but he doesn't give you all that much. Um, he's, he is doing, you know, he's peak Cardinals Devil Magic. Uh, what, what, how old is he? Like 39 or something? Brendan Donovan, no, he's 25. But, you know, like, a um, moderate prospect but he's like solid at everything he's not great at any one thing it's it's peak it's just peak cardinals devil magic he's been great he is definitely useful uh it is more of a deep league situation that you would want to roster him but i definitely see i definitely see uh the upside there with brendan donovan filling in particular needs especially evelon goria was picked up in that may 15th sesh uh, 31 leagues got him coming off the IL, and he's hit 252 with eight homers, 16 runs batted in, 17 scored. That's a 33, 66, and 71 pace. Zero steals, obviously. That's basically Kyle Schwarber from last year, loosely speaking, which was the 74th overall player. Now, I mean, at Longoria himself, um, it basically wasn't like himself from last year a little bit, too. You can almost just kind of go with, with that aspect because he had that power surge last year. The only thing that really stopped him this year was the fact that he's old. So people didn't really draft him and then he got hurt. So they're like, this is why I didn't draft him, but he's been virtually the same guy, uh, especially in, in terms of a rate standpoint. If you look at WRC plus, I want to say 
that he's, he's damn near matching his total from last year. I'm going to his page real quick. Bear with me. Yeah, 123 last year, WRC plus 127 this year for Evan Longoria. So the numbers are a little different, the makeup of it, but he's been essentially the same kind of impact player with that big power. And like I said, he's pacing toward being a, a, a Kyle Schwarber-esque type of guy um, over the course of a full season. He's been great. Will he stay healthy and play the rest of the season? Probably not. There'll probably be another IL stint. But you play him while you got him and you enjoy it because he's been good. Evan Longoria. All right, here's uh, an outlier I've been hinting at. Christian Bethencourt. I think I mentioned him by name, actually. I don't know why I was being coy with him. Uh, May 15th. Yeah, I did mention him by name because I mentioned how he's, he could be on this again. I'm an idiot. I forgot 20 minutes ago. Uh, but yeah, May 15th, he was picked up 22 times. He was subsequently cut a bunch, and then, like I mentioned, picked up, what did I say, 36 times in uh, on the 12th or something? Hang on, I'm going back to it. I'm curious. I'm curious what I said. It was, yeah, 36 times. So a lot of people cut him. Uh, I'm still going to give the, the full season pace since then for those who did keep him. He's hit 255 with four homers, two steals. 11 ribbies and 14 runs. That's 21, 10, 57, and 73 for Christian Bethencourt. Now, that's like a Chris Taylor type season from last year, which was 58th. However, do the catcher change with the position adjustment and then moves up to like 25th. So that brings Christian Bethencourt in terms of pure value into the mix with the rest of our, our upper tier folks, which again are Taylor Ward, Josh Naylor, Juan Yepes, Brandon Drury, and um, who else did I say? Oh, I put Nolan Gorman in there as well um, because I gave him that, that that Giancarlo comp. But he's a little bit lower than those guys. So you get it, though. Christian Bethencourt has been incredible. Obviously, four homers and two steals at catcher. He could be hitting 155, and there would still be some positive value from that, I bet. But 255 is quite good. He's been awesome. Now, I do wonder if that strikeout rate is going to catch up to Bethencourt or when will it catch up to Bethencourt? I think it's the more appropriate question because um, it's at 23% for the season right now, which is not terrible as you, you might well know. However, be leery of a 19% swinging strike rate. That is pretty severe and it suggests more strikeouts are coming. Additionally, when he has a lull, when Christian Bethencourt is off a bit, it comes in the form of massive strikeouts. Like, we've definitely seen it before where it's like, oh, okay, that's some crazy swing and miss that is, you know, going to cause issues for him. So I'm being a little bit mindful of that, but it's not particularly actionable because at catcher, the thresholds are so low that I'm just sticking with him right now. Oakland's committing to playing him a decent bit, um, because he's playing some first base. Actually, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I said a decent bit, because you know he's playing, but in the last six games he's played thrice. They were all lefties though. Is he short side platoon? Hang on, I gotta check something. Sorry, this is on the fly checking because I did not know about this uh, coming in. Let me see. Let me see what his uh, outlook is against righties right now for Bethencourt. Let's see here. 
Now, he hasn't started against the last five righties. And then he got a start on January 20, January, June 25th, and then another three off before that. So in the last, what is that? Four, nine. In the last nine games against righties, Bethancourt started one. It was at DH. So that changes the calculus a bit. It certainly mutes the, um, the pace, right? And that's one of many reasons that these paces are just an illustration, not a guide or saying that they're this player, et cetera, et cetera. I, I'm giving all these, uh, I understand I'm giving all these disclaimers. Maybe I shouldn't have just used them, but I, it helps me crystallize things too. So that's why I thought it'd still be useful as long as I stressed that I wasn't suggesting that Christian Bethencourt, oh dude, he's, now he's Chris Taylor behind the dish. That's it. It's sealed. So just be careful. Ride it, ride it till you can't, right? Sometimes there's nothing that's actionable. You're not gonna, you don't have to try to get rid of him ahead of time. If you don't have a better catcher right now and they're getting enough lefties on the schedule, Oakland is, then you can play Bethancourt as a short side platoon guy and just see what's up. Now, they only face one, two lefties this week. They face one tonight, in fact, Tuesday, and then another one on Saturday. Now, keep an eye if he doesn't start I, any of the three games against the righties, which history suggesting he's not going to for Bethancourt, you can make a decision if you want. Maybe you start looking to move him because of the volume. But as long as he's producing when he does play, maybe it doesn't have to be such a bad thing. You might look to see, you know, stay ahead of the schedule, though, if there's no lefties. Now, I wouldn't normally recommend this, but if you are in a position where you can do it, you can afford the luxury, and you might you you have like a th a third catcher of interest. You could maybe platoon Bethancourt with somebody if you wanted, but that'd be a luxury item only. I want to be clear on that. You can't have any injury or prospect stashes. You got to be running pretty strong on your reserve, and you can be in a position to take that spot. I'm talking specifically NFBC, where you only have seven reserves, no injuries, no nothing. You, those are just your seven guys. That's where I would do something like that with Bethancourt. That and that alone. I already covered Gorman, Christopher Morrell. Actually, I should move Gorman. Where did I loop Gorman in? Was it just for my own notes here when I do the timestamps? I think it was with Drury. I'll, I'll hear it when I listen back, hopefully. Uh, Christopher Morrell is our next guy from May 22nd. He was picked up in 31 leagues, 267, six homers and steals. 20 driven in, 28 scored since then. He, his pace is incredible. 25-25 with 83 Driven in, 116 scored, just filthy. And I didn't have a great comp for him. The best I could find was Trevor Story, but uh, Trevor Story scored 88 runs to uh, a 116 run pace for Morrell. And because that was such a stark difference, he was another one where I went in and just did the quick calculation to kind of see what that would be if you took, I took like Bo Bichette's runs uh, dollar value and just basically applied that. So that was, you know, he was on the screen right there. It was kind of an easy way to just do it. And that jumps him up to 31st for Morrell for the pace of his full season. However, he seems to have lost the leadoff role. So that will obviously cut into his volume. He did respond quite nicely to getting dumped down there, though. His first two games in the... Um, in the nine hole after getting pushed down there, he went seven for nine with two homers and four ribbies. 
and then hit a homer the next game after that. But that was, I believe that was against a lefty, and he, he let off. He did lead off for sure, but I think it was because it was a lefty. Yeah, it was Rich Hill. So he goes, he gets, you know, moved down the lineup and says, you know what? I'm not mad. Boom. Two homers. And then, oh, I'm back up at the top of the order with, against a lefty. Here's another homer. So one of the issues that's been cropping up lately with Morrell, or, or rather, it was always there, but now that the Babip's coming back to earth and all that, it's starting to be a problem. Let's, let's frame it that way. That's actually the more accurate way to talk about Christopher Morrell's strikeout rate. But those have become an issue and why they, they figured, oh, we got to move him down. He has a 36% strikeout rate over the last calendar month. He still has a 323 OBP, which is not terrible when you're striking out that much. Um, you want higher uh, for your OBP at you know at the top of the order. I understand why they moved him down, but he's still producing. He is absolutely still producing. He is one for his last three on the bases in that calendar month. So there's a little bit of that, but you know maybe going back down in the order takes a little pressure off himself and starts running again. Christopher Morrell has been a big find, though. And even if they do kind of keep him down in the lower third of the order, who cares? I think because the power speed is there, unless he falls off completely, that's when, obviously, you would start to care. But as long as Christopher Morrell keeps playing and giving you something with the power and the speed, I mean, we're nowhere near cutting bait here. Because even with the high strikeout rate, 31% for him on the season, 17% swinging strike rate. He does have a 9% walk rate to kind of counterbalance it. So he still gets on base. He's got a 342 OBP for the season. I mentioned 323 over the last calendar month. So there's still some room for that BABIP and homer to fly ball rate. Both those to regress at 369 and 24% respectively. But I like this guy. I think there's a lot to like with Morrell. Even as he works through you know, his rookie season, he's going to hit a rookie wall probably at some point. Uh, there should still be enough with the power and the speed, thanks to his OBP, to keep contributing. Michael Harris was picked up on May 29th in 47 leagues. He's hit 308 with five homers, four steals, 19 driven in, 22 scored since then. Crazy. Um, basically, similar to what we saw with Morrell. 25-20-93-108 pace. And so I use the same Trevor Story thing because they, they had the similar uh, – actually, with Harris, I should have done a better jump because of the batting average jump. He's hitting 308 since then. So I kind of I sold him short. So basically you could say the way he's paced right now because Story hit 251 last year, which matches more with the 267 that Morell's hit since May 22nd. But Harris hitting 308, I should have done a better comp. So with the runs adjustment moving the Trevor Story line up to like 31, if you did a batting average adjustment, now you're talking damn near top 20. Now, is Michael Harris going to be a top 20 guy from the day you got him forward? Probably not, folks. I'm, I'm here to spoil the party. I know I'm such a jerk. But he's been awesome. And you talk about hitting the ground running, and we, focus, we have focused this year on how many guys haven't done that and how much of a bummer some of these rookies have been. But let's give some love to the ones who have. And Harris is a, a big part of that, man. He's showing the power. He's showing the speed. He, the defense is there. He's awesome. Obviously, he'll regress from this uh, down to you know a, a more 
expected level of, of production. 363 BABIP's a bit high, but he is very fast. He might run a high BABIP, 20% homer to fly ball. Probably expect that to regress a bit from a non-power hitter. He has some punch, but he's not a power hitter. But even with some regression to both of those, I love what I've seen. I, I have a hard time seeing where this completely blows up. Now, I do think there's a little bit of swing and miss risk. Again, 14% swinging strike rate for Michael Harris, 23% strikeout rate in the majors thus far. You know, that, that could, there could be a little bit more wiggle up in that. That could go into about the quarter rate. And he doesn't walk a whole lot, only 4% in the majors. I'm okay with that. I think that's some, some volatility I can live with from the 21-year-old. There's just too much to like from what Michael Harris is doing. And don't forget, he skipped double A to get here. He's been incredible, one of the best dads. Definitely belongs in that group of, of the best of the best, too. I kind of cut it off with those first few. I didn't scroll down far enough on my list, to be honest. This is actually a much bigger list than I, than I thought here. We only have two more, though. We only have two more. This is one I hinted at earlier. You guys probably guessed it, but John Birdie, there is no comp for what he's doing. He's been absolutely obscene. May 29th, he was picked up in 25 of the 47 main events. Since then, he's hit 277, zero homers, 21 steals. Who gives a shit how many runs and ribbies he has after that? But just for the record, it's 14 and 17, respectively, which pays out to zero homers, 117 steals, <laughs> 78 driven in and 95 scored. So like I said, because his runs, his stolen bases have been so good, it wouldn't even matter if Birdie wasn't giving you a damn thing on the runs and ribbies numbers, but he actually is. 78 and 95 from a slapster like him with no pop. That's quite good, but it's all about the speed with him. And you just, you just ride this all the way. Now, in trading leagues, if you struck it, struck gold here and you have some speed and you can afford to trade him, then by all means, because I think you can actually get a good enough return here. Premium speed is paid for in the market. And when you're seeing it at this level, with if you trade the MLB leader in steals, you will get a healthy return. And if you don't, go knocking somewhere else because that is a tried and true quality return piece in a, um, in a roto market. So I would not settle for anything less than a high-impact piece that, that fills your needs with birdie. And then our last guy, uh, by the way, um, let me say on birdie, the Jazz injury obviously, you know, covers the potential concern, or actually covers is probably too strong of a word, mitigates some of the concerns uh, of the return for Joey Wendell. But, Will Bernie still play? We still play five days a week, and and the reason I I got to be honest, I was gonna say that I think it'll it'll cover it, but then I noticed he hasn't played, he hasn't started either the last two days. Here's the thing, the, what I've been saying about John Birdie since he's been running wild is that he's a lot like um, he's a lot like Gerard Dyson and Rajay Davis in their years, especially before Rajay Davis became more of a full time player to where he doesn't even need to play every day. You need to have him in your lineup because you're going to miss pinch running opportunities or you know somebody's going to get hit by a pitch early in the game and come out. He's going to come in and end up batting three times and go two for three with three steals. Like You can't afford to lose those steals. So if you've got Birdie, just keep playing him. It is a little unsettling that he hasn't started either of the two days since... Uh, since Wendell and, and Roja, since Wendell's return, actually. No, Wendell returned on 
last Thursday. I'm sorry. So since Wendell's actual return, which was Friday the 1st, because they didn't play Thursday, Birdie started Friday's game, Saturday's game, Sunday's game. He hasn't started Monday or Tuesday. So that's not as alarming. My bad. I misread that. I thought that was when Birdie re- or when Wendell returned, and now I'm muddying the water and confusing things like a dumbass. I'm sorry about that. Um, I'm looking to see if there's any... No, no injury issue. In fact, uh, NBC Sports Edge even had a note about it like, hmm... John Birdie remains absent from the starting lineup for Tuesday's season opener, series opener, excuse me, against the Angels. It's a bit surprising to see Birdie sitting for a second consecutive contest, especially since he doesn't appear to be dealing with an injury. So who knows? It could just be a couple days off. He's, he's going to play. Like, he's still going to get mixed in. He can play infield, outfield. You know, I get maybe De La Cruz. I know he had a homer the other day. I don't know if he's swinging well generally or if it was just the homer. Miggy Rowe is like a team leader, so he is going to play plenty. But Wendell actually kind of comes in for Jazz, and then that kind of eats up Birdie because, well, here's my question. Where was, what was the playing time situation when it was Rojas, Jazz, and Birdie? What was happening then? I guess how long has Jazz been out? Jazz left uh, the 28th. Oh, very recently. Basically, when Bert, when Wendell came back. So, I don't know. I'm confused. I'm a little confused right now. Let me uh, go to the lineup screen. So, Birdie and Chisholm. Oh, Birdie was playing, like, some second, some left, some third. Okay, that's the thing. He just mixes around anywhere. And Jazz was playing a bunch of second. Mixing in. Okay. All right, well, it's two days off for Birdie. What are you going to do, not play him? I, I mean, you already put him in for the week anyway. He's been great. Here's really the thing, though, too. And just be, just be prepared for this, just in case it happens. It shouldn't happen because he's also hitting well. If he just had a bunch of steals, like fluke style for Birdie, but he wasn't actually hitting well, we could be, like, super concerned. But that's not the case. He has a 116 WRC+. plus. He should continue to get playing time. But let's just say it did really start to evaporate. You got like 20 steals out of him in such a small time. You can't lose on this player anymore. Now, if you just traded for him, you know, 18 steals into the into the run or something like that, that's a totally different thing. But if you picked him up and got a bulk of these steals, I'm not saying you can't complain, like, that you can't be upset if he does start losing playing time, but you kind of can't complain. Like, you know, it's still, it still has paid off pretty handsomely is the bottom line there with Birdie. Anyway, our last guy, Luis Garcia from the Nats, June 5th, 43 pickups, 310 with two homers of steel, seven runs driven in, 12 scored. That's a 12-6-44-75 pace. That's about an Alex Verdugo from last year which actually makes some sense for a Luis Garcia come. Now, Luis Garcia is an infielder at second and short, so different uh, context there. But the actual stats, that, that, that tracks a bit. You know, the higher runs than ribbies especially. It's not a perfect comp, by the way. Um, and a few of these were. I just want to stress that a bit more. But, you know, he's pacing for 44 RBIs. Uh, Verdugo had 63. So that's, that's a big difference. I want, I want to stress that. Giving you a loose idea. Verdugo was like the 75th player, by the way, last year. And Verdugo also hit 289, and Garcia's hitting 310, so that would be higher. Too. You know, so there'd be trade-offs. 
Garcia, I talked about this phenomenon when he came up. It felt like he was kind of left for dead as an also-ran already, despite being just 22 and coming into the season with a whopping 386 plate appearances under his belt. But he was he was not discussed much. Luis Garcia was kind of forgotten for Washington, which is weird. He's so young. He's 22. So he crushed in AAA. He's come back up this year and finally had a good sample in the majors so far, 122 plate appearances. I hope he keeps it going. It is still early to the point where even if he doesn't, um, I'm not going to lose my mind because... You know, there's still time. There's still time. So even if his second half kind of fell off a little bit and it wasn't, you know, so great and it wasn't, this isn't the Luis Garcia breakout party, I'm still not going to give up on him. But at least right now, he is killing it. And that's been uh, exciting to watch with Luis Garcia. So that's our list. Let's go over it again real quick. Steven Kwan, Jerkson Profar. Taylor Ward, Owen Miller, Santiago Espinal, Daniel Vogelbach, Josh Naylor, Juan Yepes, Jose Miranda, Brandon Drury, Alec Thomas, Brendan Donovan, Evan Longoria, Christian Bethencourt, Nolan Gorman, Christopher Morrell, Michael Harris, John Birdie, and Luis Garcia is the group. And the best of the bunch, like I said, you're really looking at Taylor Ward, uh, Josh Naylor, Juan Yepes, Brandon Drury, Francisco, uh, I almost said Francisco Lindor, which is the Alec Thomas comp. I would put Alec Thomas in there. It's pretty darn good. Evan Longoria, Christian Bethencourt, especially when you consider he's a catcher. Michael Harris and Christopher Morrell, and of course, John Birdie. Those 10 have really stood out as 10 of the absolute best pickups of the entire year. I'm going to have pitchers. Uh, if Justin's able to go on Friday, I'll do those pitchers with him. We'll do the same thing. We'll kind of go period by period, talk about them, talk about their future. What are they looking at? What have they been looking like? Did you get any of these pickups? Who were you on? Who did you luck into? Who were you hot on? And, it, and you know, you had a read. Let me know in the comments. Were you a Taylor Ward believer? I was, man, but I just, Dalton, man, really, really pushed that number. Although I wasn't second either. So I, I'm not going to lose lose too much sleep over that. I can't be like, ah, if, if only I was in a different league, I would have definitely got him. Nope. I was, I was, I think, third at best uh, with, with Taylor Ward there. So, uh-oh. I'm watching the uh, Seattle-San Diego game. Somebody just had a very stupid running situation. Sam Haggerty, what are you doing? Anyway, I'll wrap this up. Thank you all so much for listen, listening. Uh, if I'm back Friday with Justin, I'll talk to you all then. If not, it'll be me by myself again, and we'll do something. We'll do the pictures. Peace. <laughs>